Welcome, guys and gals, to the Man Talks show. I'm Connor Beaton, the host and founder of Man Talks. Now, this is another special episode I'm sharing with you today, and it's it's different because this is actually an interview that uh, that I was interviewed on. So, this is an episode from someone else's podcast, and I really felt like it was worthy and um, worth sharing with you. So. It's a bit of a flip the script. Normally, I'm interviewing people, but on this one, I'm getting interviewed. Uh, And so this is a really important conversation. It's probably one of the most asked questions that I get when I go and speak in front of groups of people. And one of the questions that I I get mostly from women sounds like this, uh, which is, how do I... How how come more men don't go do the work? How come more men aren't open to uh, going to see a therapist or getting a coach or joining a men's group? And from men, the question will sound like this. How do I overcome the resistance I feel to changing? Why can't I create more lasting change? Why is it that I sabotage in my relationship or in business or in my career? (laughs) Why can't I be better? And so in this interview, Brian asks me some very pointed questions. And his podcast, by the way, is called Men This Way. Uh, it's a great show. He's a great guy doing some some wonderful things in the world. And he asked me some questions about the challenges and the struggles that I see a lot of men facing. And so I share some of my personal journey in uh, in dealing with this resistance, in dealing with how to change in these areas. Uh, but I also share my perspective on why so many men struggle with this change. And at the very end, I give some very tactical and real insight and advice and guidance on how to create that lasting change in your life. Uh, don't forget to man it forward. And if you aren't already a part of the Man Talks community on Facebook, I invite you to do so. We've got over 4,000 men that are a part of that free community. It's growing quickly, some great dialogue and conversation in there. Uh, and for all of you that are, that are out there that are wanting to go a little bit deeper, check out some one-on-one work either with me through the Men's Weekend uh, or you can sign up to join the Alliance, which is an online program that we run with weekly calls with men from around the world. So without any further delay, please enjoy this interview. I would love to hear what parts stood out for you. So feel free to share this on your social media platform of preference and make sure to tag me in it at Man Talks or you can tag me at Connor Beaton. And uh, I would love to hear your thoughts on this. So reach out to me and let me know what you think. Welcome to Men This Way, the podcast for every man who seeks to live his deepest purpose in life, who's committed to showing up fully and giving his unique gifts to the world. Because if not you, then who? I'm your host and fellow journeyman, Brian Reeves. Brian with a Y, Reeves. Men, this way. Have you ever thought about why men often resist getting support from a therapist or a coach or just asking for directions? And why is getting support essential for a great life and great relationships? And what can help a man overcome his resistance to getting support? Well, in this episode, my guest Connor Beaton and I dive into this conversation about men and support, why we need it, why we resist it and what can get us over that resistance to taking action. Connor is the founder of Man Talks, an international organization dedicated to helping the lives of men. Connor's actually a repeat guest on Men This Way. And in this special focus episode, though we drill down into one specific topic, we actually cover a lot of ground. If you're in a relationship, I strongly recommend listening to this episode with your partner or sharing it with them because it has the potential to bridge really painful gaps between you. And if you're not in a relationship, this is the perfect time to listen to this, because waiting until things are really shitty before gaining the clarity that you're actually not supposed to figure out how to do life and love well all by yourself, well, that's no way to go through life and do love. In fact, doing it all by yourself is the best way to end up alone, even if you're surrounded by people. So this is an essential episode that I know will serve you deeply today and beyond. 
And if you want to share feedback or tell me what this conversation inspired in you, you can now email me directly at Brian. It's Brian with a Y, Brian at BrianReeves.com. I'd love to hear your thoughts. All right, let's dive. Connor Beaton, welcome back, my friend. Thanks for having me back on the show, man. I'm always honored to be in connection with your conversation. Likewise, man. I got a lot of great feedback actually on. Uh, so if, if those of you that are listening, this is the first time you're hearing Connor on Men This Way, we actually recorded another episode really about your personal journey as a man. It was a brilliant, brilliant, profound episode. One of my best friends said it was uh, his favorite episode so far. So Awesome. Awesome. I'll, I'll take that. That's high praise. Yeah. Honored to have you back. So Connor, this is a little different of an episode than normal because we're going to drill down into a particular topic that you and I both have a lot of experience in both uh, on the painful side of this, (laughs) in the resistant, no, I don't want to do that side of this, but then also in the healer side of this, right? And what we're talking about really is getting support, yeah. getting support for our challenges. Um, in our first conversation, we talked a lot about the importance of men having other men, working with other men to hold us, I don't know, accountable, but just help us live better, let's say. Mm-hmm. And so I invited you to come back on Men This Way so that we could talk about that. Because you and I are both men who've resisted, right? Fair to say, mm-hmm. resisted getting any kind of support outside ourselves, Yep. right? Maybe read a book or two, but you know, therapist, coach, what's that? (laughs) We've suffered and we've grown and we've also, you're about to get married. I'm engaged myself, but we're essentially, we're married to therapists Yeah, and we're coaches ourselves. So I thought this would be really, really invaluable for both men, but also for women who might want to you know, who see the suffering in their partner or feel it in themselves and want their partner to get support. And so you and I were just going to have a conversation about that. What is that resistance? What's been your experience? And um, how do we get over that hump? And what are some ways that our partners can support us as well in doing that? So yeah, I'll start us off, just kind of lead us into a question. Why does this matter? Why is this important? Why do we men need to get support? Let's just start right there. Yeah. So I mean, it's it's a really great question, and I think there's many reasons why we as men don't often open ourselves to being receptive to getting support. You know, I think when it comes to being more success driven, that's usually where we can be more receptive. Oftentimes, we have been told and conditioned that we're very much success objects in a lot of ways, and so our value, our worth as men, comes from our ability to earn and provide, and and those types of pieces. And so, generally, guys are are more open to getting support when it comes to like things like making more money right. or being able to figure out how to make money to provide for their family. But the real reason why it's important to actually open ourselves to being receptive and whether it's going to see a therapist or getting a coach or you know, joining a men's group or whatever, whatever that looks like, is that we have an innate desire to grow, period. A man's purpose, like what I work with men on is, is that purpose equals expansion. That when we really want to aim for purpose in our lives and our existence, what we realize is that a man's deepest desire is to have a sense of purpose and have a clarity of what that purpose is in his life. And what we can come to the realization of is that our highest goal as men often is in expansion, Mm -hmm. expansion in our ability to earn money, expansion in our ability to become better providers, expansion in our ability to become better social connectors and better lovers, uh, better, you know, in in the bedroom, um, and et cetera, et cetera. The list goes on and on. And we feel the most connected to purpose and direction in our life when we are expanding. And when we're not expanding, we are either stagnant and we feel like we've hit a plateau or we are in the state of contraction. And contraction feels like death to a man, right? Stagnation feels pretty shitty and it usually feels like we've, you know, landed in like Homer Simpson land. But we can hang out there for a while. Oh, we we can absolutely, we love it. (laughs) I think a lot of men, you know, have, have also been sort of shown or taught in some way that, that that place of, you know, comfort 
is the end result. And so a lot of them work towards having this very comfortable existence that they then start to feel stagnant in and it can quickly lead them into contraction. But the main reason why getting support and help, again, whether it's a coach or a therapist or whoever, is that that person is going to help you expand. If they're doing their job properly, they're going to be pushing your edge. They're going to be challenging you. They're going to be calling you forward into the type of man, father, husband, business owner that you say you want to be. And the reality is, is that so many men talk a really big game, right? Mm. So many guys are like, oh yeah, I really want, I love being challenged. I love achieving goals. It's like, right, you love being challenged and achieving goals up until the point that somebody calls you on your bullshit and then you don't like it anymore, Yeah, right? And then suddenly you're confronted with the realization that maybe you've been playing small for a few years and you don't like, you don't like that. You don't want to admit that. Yeah. And so we as men don't often like to get in that space where we have another man as a mirror reflecting back to us where we're playing small, where we're not showing up as great husbands or leaders or business owners or fathers. And so, you know, I could give you all the stats on mental health of why we need it mm -hmm. and loneliness of why we need it mm -hmm. and, you know, broken marriages and broken families of why we need it. And I could, you know, sort of like lay the guilt trip on that. And, and maybe we can get into some of those things. But the reality is in the simplest form, why we need this is because a man's purpose, a man's highest calling is to expand. Yeah. And he can do this in an accelerated form with another man who has walked that path, with another man who is capable of being a really powerful mirror for him. And it's confronting as all hell. Like if you want to get uncomfortable, if you really want to make change in your life, get in front of another man that does this type of work and it will confront the shit out of you, Yeah, right? But you'll see change. You will see change. Yeah. Well, I love how you framed it as that support person, whether man or woman for that matter, really is there to help you grow and expand. Mm -hmm. And I think, and I'd love to hear your thoughts on this, but I think a lot of the reason that one of the reasons men tend to resist getting this kind of support is I think there's you know, to find a skilled practitioner, a skilled person who can, I think a lot of men, the feedback that I get, you know, men often will come and couples will come to work with me after they've tried therapy. And now remember, I'm married to a therapist. I've got nothing against therapy. I go see a therapist when I'm not in my own resistance to that. <laughs> but a lot of men will tell me after we've worked on even one session, they'll say, man, this is so much better than anything I've ever done in therapy. And the reason what I, what I know, what I believe is happening for them is they're kind of, they feel beat up mm -hmm. in therapy. They feel picked on, beat up, singled out. And I think it does take a really skillful practitioner to, as you said, to be confronting, but in a way that is really, I don't know, I'll just use the word loving mm -hmm. in a way that is affirming and respectful still. I mean, that really takes, what do you think about that? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I, I mean, I have a pretty wide range of clients that come to work with me and whether it's men or women or couples, but mm -hmm. yeah, for a lot of the guys that have tried traditional therapy before and that have worked with traditional therapists, I think, you know, for a lot of them, just talking about it and going through the motions of confession mm -hmm. and going through the motions of like maybe connecting the dots in some ways appeals right. to their analytical brain. Right. But the challenge is that so many men lack the feeling of the change, yeah. you know, and that skilled practitionership that you're talking about, finding someone who can call you on your bullshit in a tactful way where you're not going to shut down, but you're also going to feel compelled to create real change is challenging. And I think what I usually say to guys is if you've worked with, if you've never done any work before, and you feel like the thing you don't want to do is go and go and work with another man, it's probably the best thing for you. It's probably the thing that your life needs. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So that's, I think that's one of the biggest things. And I think, you know, there's a multitude of reasons why, why men generally don't go do this. Yeah. Sylvie and I, we just started watching this program on Netflix is an Australian TV kind of reality show. It's called back with the X. Mm. And it's a show about four couples They've been broken up for, you know, six to 25 years, and now they're reuniting to see if they can get back together yeah. and if they can make it work. Over three weeks, <laughs> they're filming mm -hmm. it three weeks. It's ridiculous. But watching them, 
there's one couple in particular watching the young, probably in their thirties, maybe late thirties, watching their patterns, just go back into their old patterns. And as far as I can tell in the show, they're not getting any support about how to do things differently. Mm. It is so like Sylvie and I, we want to throw shit at the TV. We want to break <laughs> our own TV, watching this couple just repeat, do this. Oh God. And it's like, it's funny. I told Sylvie, it's like, I understand that young, stupid guy. I was him. Yep. I could still be him. If I didn't have anyone showing me a different way and I didn't for a long time, I'd just, I'd die on the, on the, the hill of my self-righteousness yep. all alone. Yeah. And I think that's, I think as men, another thing that I think we generally face with is this idea that we have to go it alone. Mm -hmm. I got to figure it out myself. Mm -hmm. I can do it. Yeah. I mean, there's a big conditioning. There's a big conditioning that the sort of highest achievement as a man is to have had this sort of utopian success, right? Almost all men, not every single one, but almost all men have some version of what they perceive to be what I call utopian success. And oftentimes that utopian success is like, when I get here, I will have quote unquote made it. And most of the time, how they think they need to get there is based on a lot of the stereotypes and stigmas that we have about men and masculinity. And so there's like this pride that our fathers and their fathers before them had in having success without support of other people. Mm -hmm. Now, that's not all men. That's not all fathers or grandfathers. But a lot of them perpetuated this notion that you were a great man if you suffered alone, you know, that it's lonely at the top. I fundamentally fucking hate that. Mm. I think that is the dumbest, most fucked up thing that we can tell men and women as leaders in our society. It's lonely at the top. You are setting, we are setting, when we say that, when we believe that, we're setting the condition that in order for you to succeed, when you get there, you're going to be lonely. Yeah. You're going to hate it, right? So you're going to be isolated from other people. Yeah. What if you could climb Everest, by the way, which you have to do, what if you could climb Everest with a group of people that you absolutely <laughs> love so that when you get to the top, you can celebrate? Yeah. Like, how are we not saying it's amazing at the top, Yeah. right? And you still have to protect yourself. You still have to be wary of who you're bringing with you and you know that you're climbing to the top with the right people. And there's a whole bunch of caveats to it. But why do we buy into this idea that it's lonely at the top and that in order to get there, we have to sacrifice people, friends, relationships, family, like the list goes on and on and on and on. And so that creates this culture within masculinity and within women who are very masculine and sort of endeavoring to be like men, that in order to be successful, we have to sacrifice all those things. And it's why there is an epidemic of lonely men. Yeah. Right, we can see that in the data statistically in the UK, in the United States, in Canada, in Australia. We can see that men are fundamentally lonely, and we can also see that lonely men are much more susceptible to heart disease, to cancer, to dying young. And loneliness is actually the equivalent of smoking a pack of cigarettes every single day. Mm. And yet that's the fucking goal, mm -hmm. right? Like that's the aim. Yeah. And we fall into that yeah. and it drives me crazy. Yeah. So, so many men have just been taught this, right? And we've just bought into it and I bought into it. Yeah. And I think, you know, at some point, a lot of men that are listening to this have bought into it. And we buy into this idea that there is some virtuous, altruistic outcome in going it alone. Mm. And, and man, I can tell you that from doing this work for like almost seven years now, there is such a different way. And it's incredibly rewarding. I am surrounded by a group of amazing men. And that group of amazing men propels me forward in my relationship, in my intimacy, in my career. And when we allow ourselves to challenge some of these narratives and beliefs that we've held on to, and we really see the impact that it has on our life, we can start to change them, yeah. right? And so I'm going to pause it because I know I just ranted about a few things. And there's a few other reasons that I want to touch on, on why men don't go do this type of work. But I think for the guys that are out there that are listening to this, and for the ladies that are listening to this, look at your narrative about success. Have you bought into the idea that you have to, that in order to be successful, you should be lonely. Mm -hmm. And if that is your narrative, how is that serving your life and your family and your career? Or is it? Yeah. And start to challenge that because it, that can really create a shift. 
you know, in the in the movie Mission Impossible, that series, Tom Cruise, he and this is in the plot. He has to choose between saving the world or being married. Yeah. And of course, you know, of course he chooses saving the world. It would be a different movie if he <laughs> if he chose marriage. We wouldn't have the Mission Impossible movies. Yeah. And it's framed that way. And I think, you know, I've certainly experienced that not not at the global scale of that, but certainly the you know, I can't do my work. It's like work or relationship work or, or, or or not just work, but I mean, it could mean, you know, this 30 minute drive we're on, we're going to get there in 30 minutes, not 35 minutes. I'm not pulling over the car to have this conversation with you, or, you know, I'm not going to call, you know, talk to my dad and give that space and cry and do whatever I need to do to feel what I'm feeling. Uh Uh-uh. We got to get there in 30 minutes, not 35, you know, that driven mission oriented, so I, that's something that certainly played out for me yeah. as well. And also I had an experience in Ireland, very similar to this, where I was in Ireland a year ago. I took myself there on a retreat. I was there for like five weeks by myself. And I, I remember I went out into this, uh, I was staying in this really barren landscape called the Burren. It's mm. like limestone covered exoskeleton like landscape. It's gorgeous, um, but very stark landscape, not a lot of trees and, and brush and but beautiful. And I remember I was out there and I'd, I'd had a little, I was doing a little medicine journey. So I was on, I took some mushrooms and so I was feeling everything, really feeling my body, feeling my emotions, feeling that's what that medicine does for me. And I remember I'm sitting there thinking, okay, I've run for the hills. I'm in the hills. I did it by my, I did it my way. I'm by myself and it's fucking lonely out here. Mm. And okay, here I, my my wife is on the other side of the planet practically. Even our dog, I'd shipped her off to Maryland for the summer to be with my parents. And like I've scattered my family across <laughs> the globe <laughs> and to be here alone in the hills. And oh man, okay, it's cool for a minute, but they, <laughs> nobody out here. It's kind of lonely. Yeah, and it's look. I think that there's there's value in doing that, yeah. and a lot of men are terrified in going to do that. You know, I've usually every single year I'll take myself on a solo journey, and even if it's just for you know three days to go camping in the wilderness of British Columbia, yeah. but that solo journey is to remind me of a few things. One, it's to remind me of the power that I have as an individual, and it's to remind me that that I also crave connection to other people. And it's to remind me of that duality that as an individual, I'm the one calling the shots. I still have to be able to make those choices, but that doing it with other people is amazing. And, you know, I think a lot of what we're talking about is, is really wrapped up in the shadow masculine and really wrapped up in the archetype of the shadow masculine, which thinks that it needs to do it by itself, which believes that there will come a time where you've proved to other people mm-hmm. that you are enough all alone mm-hmm. and that you don't need anyone. And it sort of perpetuates that message. And that, that's the aggressive, you know, the hyper aggressive part of the masculine that so many people label as toxic. I don't like the word toxic. And I think yeah. we talked about this in the last yeah. one. I, you know, I think it's shadow parts. Yeah. I think when we label parts of ourselves as toxic, it's such a slippery slope. Yeah. Psychologically, we shame those parts of ourselves, but yeah, no, I'm reminded of the movie Into the Wild, mm-hmm. a movie every every man and woman should see. Brilliant, brilliant, fantastic movie. Chris McCandless, I think, is his name. He he takes himself comes from a wealthy family, where his parents, you know, total dysfunctional experience. Anyway, he two year journey with no money, you know, just off into the wild, and he goes up to Canada. I yep. think it's Canada, yep. wilds of Canada or Alaska somewhere, and he ends up dying of starvation. He eats the wrong plant. But in at least in the movie, and this is a true story, based on true story, what is his ultimate find? What is the last thing he writes in his diary in oh, the telling of the story? Do you remember? I don't remember. I don't this may not be exact, but essentially happiness is only real when shared. Yeah. And he has to go, like I did in Ireland in that moment. And I do that for me too. I gotta regularly do this, but when I run into places, because oh, I just got to get away. I need to be by myself. I need to disconnect. I need. I don't want to seek help. I want to do it by myself. I don't just mean in Ireland. I mean in my living room, you know, in a moment of, of disconnect, and I just root in my stubborn resistance and or on my righteousness, kind of like Chris McCandless going to the extremes to see I can do this by myself, only to discover fuck. 
I'm miserable really in the sustained isolation of that experience. Yeah. yeah and, and maybe you can, you know, like, and, and maybe part of the, you know, your journey, not you specifically, but mm-hmm. you know, people that are listening to this is like, maybe a part of the journey is that you have to do that in order to figure it out. Totally right? right. Like maybe listening to us talk about this, yeah. you reject it. You know, yeah. and you and you hear this, and you're like, ah, <laughs> yeah. I think that's dumb, and I can still go yeah. do this by myself, and like, yeah. and the shadow masculine is still, yeah. it's still enough in the driver's seat that you don't want to let it go, and it's like, okay, well, you know, how close to rock bottom do you need to get before yeah. you decide to try something different? Yeah, and the reality is, is that we as human beings, we're intricate stubborn monkeys, you know, like <laughs> we really are, and the funny part is, is that we can hear a truth that could change our lives, but resist it and reject it because we need to experience it for ourselves. And oftentimes, this is so true with men where, where we oftentimes want to experience something before we believe it, right? We can hear the lessons that someone's had, you know, hitting rock bottom or losing everything, but there's sort of like this shadowy appeal to experiencing mm-hmm. that type of catastrophic collapse in our life, having our marriage fall apart, having our business go, you know, belly up, that we almost want to understand that suffering and that pain in that way. Yeah. And it's the curiosity of the psyche, right? And so it's a natural thing. Yeah. But I think one of the other benefits of doing this type of work, really deep, work with a really great therapist or coach is that you can start to meet those parts of yourself, those shadowy, dark parts of yourself that want to pull you down into that rock bottom. And you can start to get to know them to the degree that they don't, that they don't necessarily have the steering wheel all the time, that they're not directing the course of your life. And you know, this is something that I had to learn firsthand right? I didn't want to get help. I didn't want to tell people what was going on. I wanted to reject what everybody was saying. I wanted to give everyone the middle finger and prove myself, you know, to my stepdad, to my dad, to my stepmom, to my mom, to all of these people, I wanted to prove myself. And because of that, I closed myself off to such a degree, which we talked about in the last podcast that I ended up in the backseat of my car, you know, and it's like, there were ways to have that not happen. But I wouldn't open myself up because there was a part of me that believed, there was a part of me that believed that I wouldn't be able to learn my lesson until I experienced it. Mm. And that's exactly what I created in my life. Mm -hmm. And no one came along and said, hey, you actually don't have to believe that belief. Mm -hmm. You know that belief that says you have to destroy your life in order to learn your lesson? That's just a belief. You don't have to believe it. You can choose something different. And through doing work with people that have been through that experience, they can help you learn those lessons without needing to tank your business or destroy your marriage. You can actually do that. And I think that's the catch is that most men don't understand the real return on investment, the real ROI of doing this type of work. And that's the ROI. You know, there's so much value in that. Yeah. Oh man, so many stories going through my brain. So many, <laughs> so many just examples of that stubbornness. I just read in the paper the other day a man who disagreed with the politics of Nike and Colin Kaepernick. Mm. And he owned, a, he owned a sports clothing store. Oh, I, I read this. Yeah. Read this. Yeah. Yeah. And he. So he took, he all, banned the, all... took all the Nike products out of the store. Yeah. Right. And because he stands by his principle, his righteousness. And again, this is not a political thing. I mean, whichever side this is, I've done this same damn thing in my own in all kinds of different scenarios and his business goes down and, and he's now shutting the store. But what really strikes me about this is two things. Nine employees are going out of also losing jobs. So the ripple effect of his righteousness that, no, I did it my way. I'm doing it my way. This is, I'm standing by Nine employees and their families, I mean, God only knows the ripple effects and his own family, right? Mm-hmm. His own experience. But number two, the article, at least the one that I read, finishes with his just affirming, you know what? Yeah, all this is happening. I'm shutting, I'm losing my business, but at least I did it my way. Yeah. At least I did it my way. Yeah. I think the interesting thing that you're pointing to is like, who are you trying to prove that to? Yeah. You know, like, who is that guy really? 
trying to prove, like, first off, what is he trying to prove? And second off, who is he really trying to prove that to? Right. right? Is it really to the American people? Because I don't, I oftentimes don't believe that, right? I think that that is an adopted perspective. You know, that's an adopted belief pattern that has probably been handed down. And men have father wounds oftentimes, and women have mother wounds oftentimes. Not always the case, it can be reversed. But we have these wounds that we carry around with us where, you know, our, our fathers have taught us the ultimate virtue as a man is you stick to what you believe no matter the cost, right? Even if that ends you, lands you bankrupt and broke on the street and your family, you know, struggling to survive or you going to jail or you know, whatever that is. And it's like in this scenario, it's a patriotic, nationalistic view and belief that is getting held on to. So he's now putting his patriotism and his nationalism, specifically his nationalism, above his own well-being, above his family's well-being, you know, above his children's well-being, his relationship, above the whole thing. Mm-hmm. And that is such a dangerous thing. And we the challenge is that lots of cultures idolize that, yeah. right? They idolize that behavior. And how far away is that behavior from fascism? Yeah. Right? It's not very far. Well, look, and I'm, I'm a veteran yeah. and he quoted, he said, you know, the kneeling and again, I don't want to go into the politics of it, but I'm a veteran and I'm not offended by the kneeling at all. In fact, I support it. I'm thrilled that we live in a country where we can do that yeah. and not get shot or jailed. Yeah. So even the thinking around that is not absolutely correct. No, it's, uh, it's a form of speech, right? Yeah. And it's very interesting that we can get so rigid in our dogma. And again, this is a part of the shadow masculine. This is just an example, right? I think debating whether or not what he did is right or wrong or the right choice, the wrong choice is not actually the point, no, right? It's not the point. I, I don't necessarily care whether or not this man, you know, it's like I can read the story, I can learn from it, I can, I can look at it and say that's not how I would act and respond. Yeah. But I also don't need to have shame or judgment towards him for the actions that he's made. So it's not necessarily about whether his actions are right or wrong. It is the lesson of seeing the shadow masculine at play. Yeah. And the shadow masculine is an immovable stone wall of an object that doesn't want to be seen and that has to be right. And if it's not right, if it's not right, it feels like death to it. And this is a part of the ego, right? This is just a part of the ego. And then the ego's aim is always to cement itself, mm-hmm. right? It's always to cement itself and make it so firm that we buy into the illusion, the distortion, that it's 100% irrefutably true. Because you it's know? ultimately, it's just wanting to survive and it can't survive. It's going to change. So it's holding desperately on for survival. And here's the funny thing is that the healthy masculine, right? The sacred masculine, healthy masculine, however you want to talk about that, whatever label you want to put on it, the aim is to have order, is to have structure. And when, because a man's goal is to have freedom, right? Like we all want freedom. A masculine craves freedom. And how it finds that freedom is oftentimes through great order and great structure. And when we can provide ourselves in our lives order and structure that's healthy, it provides us this liberation, right? We can relax. Yeah, we can, we can relax and we can soften. <laughs> yeah. But the problem is, is that that structure can also become the cage in which you die. Yeah. And it can become the prison that you live in. And our egos can play the trick on us of being these solid, absolute things. Yeah. And absolutism is a very scary place to go, especially within our identity. Yeah. But as men, we, you know, in past generations, and depending on certain cultures and upbringings have been taught to lean towards that. And unfortunately, those are the types of situations where that type of absolute adherence to structure and absolute adherence and rigidness to how things should be yeah is one of the situations where people usually aren't open to doing introspective work to the possibility of being wrong, yeah. right? And that's a dangerous place because usually then, and I've been there, as I said before, mm-hmm. we almost have to bottom out because we've bought in the idea that nothing's going to change our mind yeah. until our mind changes us, Yeah, right? <laughs> you know, the masculine freedom... There is a very primal 
reaction response drive that, you know, our country, the, the United States was founded on this idea, don't tread on me. You know, this is a famous old saying in our don't tread on me. My stepfather, who's very much kind of right wing Republican, and he has that in prom- his letters prominently. And, and look, I'm the same. I don't want to be tread on. Don't anybody tread on me. It's not about politics. No man wants to be tread on. Yeah. <laughs> and yet in our not wanting to be tread on, we will tread all the fuck all over people constantly. That's right. Yeah. We will tread all over everyone else in our efforts to not be tread on. We don't yeah. realize we're perpetrating the very thing that we're asking not be done to us. Yeah. And it does come from a really, pro- I want to just acknowledge that that's so human and it's so natural and to some degree very healthy. Yeah. And I want to talk about this resistance and, and also how then we can get over it, how even our partners who hopefully are listening can help us over this. I had this funny experience not long ago, maybe six months ago or so. And I was really going through, I was feeling very lonely, very disconnected from my my male friends and my family lives on the other side of the country. And anyway, I was just really going through that, the loneliness, feeling that. And I had a funky day. And Sylvie comes into my office and she can feel my funkiness and um, you know I'm a little grumpy, whatever. And she takes my cell phone and she puts it in my hand and she says, call T, call T. You know, Tate's my lifelong best buddy. And he's, again, big reason I even started doing this men this way stuff. You know, anyway, he's very precious to me and we're brothers. And she puts my phone in my hand, call T, you need to call Tate. And I tell her, get that fucking phone out of my hand. Get away from me. <laughs> <laughs> she was absolutely right. That's exactly what would have served me. But yeah. I, I didn't want to be told what to do and how to do it and when to do it. Yeah. You know, my, my initial reaction was, don't tell me what to do. And actually, in my work, I've framed the masculine freedom and feminine connection values. I've framed them in terms of what I call the objections, the masculine objection and the feminine objection. And the, the masculine objection is, don't tell me what to do. Mm. Very primal, right? The, and the feminine connection value is, don't abandon me. Mm-hmm. And we all have both. It's not a man woman thing, right? For our yeah. listeners, you, you, you know that, but we all have both. But my first reaction is always, don't tell me what to do. I'm you know, more core masculine. Don't tell me what to do. Yeah. And I know you get this as well, but particularly women or partners of men that want them to get support or want to get support and know that you see their partner suffering or experience the relationship suffering will come to both of us and say, they'll say, how do I get my man to X? How do I get my man? One thing I say, you can't get a man to do anything he doesn't want to do. Yeah. And if you so, can, you won't respect him and he won't respect himself. That's right. That's right. Yeah. The like the like the illusion of the feminine is that it can change the masculine, right? Mm-hmm. And then when it does, it's sorely disappointed. Yeah, know, <laughs> that's, that's, the, right. that's the paradox. That's the paradox of that yeah. illusion is that it's it's constantly wanting men to change and then disappointed when they do. And so it's not that, not, not change from the perspective that they grow, right. but more along the lines of that they cave on their values and right. do what the feminine is telling them to, right? Yeah. And that's the irony. <laughs> so let's talk about that because I think this is a big one. And, and I think to really ground what we're talking about here, I mean, there's so much value to getting support. We're not supposed to do this alone. Men, we've especially... I specifically chose a male therapist to work with in the last year because I really wanted an elder man mm-hmm. supporting me in what I'm experiencing. And But let's talk about how do we get over that resistance and how can our partners help us? Like, what are some of the things? And I have a few points and, and I'd love to hear what you would say to that too. You know, when someone comes to you and says just that, how do I get my man to, how do I help him or how do I, what would, What's one of the first things you'd say to that other than what we've just acknowledged? (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. So one of the first things I usually ask is like, is he open and is he interested? Right. And have you asked him if he's open or interested? Right. Because usually what happens is whether it's, you know, whether it's uh, in a heterosexual relationship or in a homosexual relationship is that the one partner will go to the other one and sort of assume that they know what's best for them. And they won't even ask them, are you open? Are you interested in this? And that's one of the best questions that we can ask, right? Because when we make the assumption of what our partner wants or is open to, it can lead to catastrophe, right? So what we can do is approach them and say, hey, you know what? Like you've been expressing some challenges with work and some, you know, challenges with money or with us. Are you open or interested in 
doing some work around that? Are you open or interested in, in maybe checking out some people who could help you through that yeah. or allow you to overcome that? They've been through it before. And usually that'll give you a good perspective. That's a great place to start. Yeah. I think that the next thing that I would say is... Well, but before you move on from that, I want to just really acknowledge that because I'll also sometimes, it's usually a woman who will say, I want to gift my partner some sessions with you. Yeah. I'll pay for it. I want to, I am so, always so very leery of that. Yeah. And I think to date, I don't think I've actually even, that's never even actually worked out where we've even done that. Cause I'm always like same, like what you just said, yeah. it's a waste of your money and my time and his too. <laughs> yeah, if they don't want, if they don't want to be there, they're not going to do the work, right? It's mm-hmm. it's very challenging. And I think for the guys that are out there, here's the way that I always look at this from a very logical perspective. If you are with a partner whom you trust, whose opinion you respect, and they are coming to you and saying to you, "Hey, I think there might be an opportunity for you to do some work on this." they're probably not wrong, mm-hmm. right? They're not trying to be malicious. They're not trying to control you. They're not trying to force you to do something that you don't want to do. They might just be able to see a blind spot that you don't see yet, right? And so I think noticing our reactivity in those moments and how we might be immediately shut down to it is important, but also having some faith that if we have chosen a partner, a woman, a man, whoever that might be, who we respect and we respect their opinion, we respect their insight. If they're coming to us in this way and we say that we trust them, right? We say that we trust them. We better have enough respect for them to listen to what they're saying to some degree. And if we can't do that, then we know that on some level we're sabotaging. And it's just a really practical, logical way of looking at it. And it sort of removes the bullshit underneath it, right? The emotional bullshit, the emotional reactivity of like, you know, that part of like, don't tell me what to do and da, 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 da. It's just reminding ourselves, you know what? I have chosen this woman. I've chosen this man. I've chosen this partner and I respect the hell out of them and I trust them. And if I know those two things are true, then what am I not wanting to listen to and why do I not want to listen to it? And it might just be that our ego is getting in the way. And if you don't respect them, yes. or if you don't value their opinion, yeah. we need to have another conversation. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. 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 So in, in that case, <laughs> in that case, you know, one of the, whew, this is a big one, and I'm not really too sure how to preface this without uh, necessarily like <laughs> offending or hurting everybody out there. But, but one of the things that I will say is like, if you don't respect your partner, it's probably not going to work. And or you probably need to do some work on building that respect because respect is the number one most important thing because respect leads to trust, respect leads to intimacy, respect leads to open communication, moving through conflict, raising babies, dealing with financial crisis, the whole thing. If you don't respect the person that's sitting across from you that you say you want to spend the rest of your life with, you might be in trouble, Yeah. right? And it's probably indicative of your self-respect. Yeah. And so rather than blaming the other person, start to look within. Yeah. And rather than projecting that you don't respect them because of X, Y, and Z, start to look at yourself. And the reason why you've attracted that relationship and you have that, that relationship dynamic in the first place. Yeah. There's a great quote by Friedrich Nietzsche. And he said, intimacy is always bad intimacy unless done with an equal. Mm. Intimacy is always bad intimacy unless done with an equal. Mm. Core concept there is if you want to have really great sex and mm. really great intimacy and communication, you better respect the shit out of them. Yeah. And I can tell you that my relationship is exceptional with my soon-to-be wife because I respect that woman yeah. to the utmost. And I also respect myself enough to have found someone that I can respect in that degree. And I think that's really the aim that all men are ideally looking for is to yeah. be with a partner that they can respect, man or woman, whatever the dynamic is. I want to emphasize that and make it really black and white, really simple. If you don't respect your partner, and it's one thing to say you respect her or him and then dismiss everything they come to you with, that's not very respectful. Yeah. So, I mean, if you really, really, really genuinely, if you, but if you don't respect your partner, leave. Yeah. Or get support immediately. Yeah. Because it is not sustainable. 
Mm-hmm. It is, it, or, well, that's not necessarily true. You can actually sustain that, <laughs> but it is fucking miserable for everybody, including yeah. certainly your partner. And I think one of the interesting things, and then we'll, we'll probably just move on from this, but you know, you might respect your partner as a person, but maybe you don't respect them as a husband or as a wife or as a future mother of your children or the future father of your children. And those questions are important, right? Because when we really do a gut check on them, you know, I can look at my, my fiance and know fundamentally without a shadow of a doubt that I respect her as a woman, as a business owner, as the future mother of our children, if we so choose to do that, as my future wife. I respect her on all of those levels. And if something has happened for me to erode that respect, that's something that I immediately know I want to work on and rectify and repair in my relationship. And how I do that is by looking at myself and where I might not be setting clear boundaries or communicating properly. But respect is, I mean, it's, it's paramount. You know, it's like, if you don't respect the boss that you work for, you're probably not going to be very happy working there, right? Or the people that you work with, you're not going to be very happy working there. And either you're going to stay in that job for a long time and be absolutely fucking miserable, or you're going to check out and you're going to leave or you're going to get fired, right? And so it is sort of, um, it can be a harsh way of looking at it. So I appreciate that for some people, this conversation might be very confronting, which is all the more reason to go find someone to do this kind of deep work with. Absolutely. (laughs) And another thing, and this might segue us into another distinction here, because a lot of times that your partner is coming to you and, and with some kind of feedback, but actually what it really feels like and probably is is criticism. Mm-hmm. And it's not very skillful and it's coming from their own wound and their own stuff. And this is a distinction that I work with a lot, particularly with couples. And I would love to hear your experience with this. And again, if you're listening to this and you're partnered with someone that, I mean, we all need this in this way, but the distinction is the difference between feedback and criticism. Mm-hmm. And I define criticism to make it simple and more accessible. Criticism is simply giving someone direction that they're not asking for. Giving direction. Because it can look like you're doing it wrong, which implies you need to do it a different way. Or just do it this way because that's how a woman wrote to me the other day and said, um, I want to tell my partner he's driving too fast. Mm. How would I give feedback instead of just criticism? And even just reading those words, you're driving too fast. My whole body just got nauseous. (laughs) Like I just tightened up like, Oh, I hate those words. What do you mean? I'm driving too fast. It's not a speed limit. It's a speed suggestion. I own this road. I know how to drive. Don't tell me what's too fast. Speed suggestion. I like that. (laughs) It's a speed suggestion. And so the difference between feedback and criticism, and this is a, a boundary conversation. And again, it's like my partner coming to me and telling me I need to call this person or I need to do that because that's what would be good for me. You said it earlier, assuming you know what is best for your partner. Mm-hmm. It might be best for your partner that they need to hit a bottom that you don't want to hang around for, mm-hmm. perhaps. Yeah. But when it comes to, again, getting over the hump of the resistance that we'll naturally feel because of all kinds of reasons to getting support, mm-hmm. feedback versus criticism. In other words, you know, again, I'll, I'm just kind of sharing this from my perspective, Connor, and I'd love to hear your, your take and your experience with this. But for me, again, as a man, I don't want someone to give me the direction on how to live my life. I think one of the most beautiful things about my relationship with Sylvie, and we don't always do it perfect, both of us, but she's so good at not giving me direction and telling me how things need to go or what I need to do to help us or to save us or to do this or do that. But staying in her experience, her feedback, what's happening, she's in pain. She's feeling disconnected. She's whatever that is. And, and then kind of, you know, largely leaving it up to me to figure out what to do about it. Mm-hmm. That's really, really empowering for me. And it might not be comfortable. It often isn't, but I'll tell you, it keeps the mystery alive. It keeps that excitement alive. It keeps the, oh, okay. Wow. I, the, my, my own problem solving skills, sharp, <laughs> you know, the bliss of figuring shit out and so that distinction is a big one. And if you're getting, if you're resisting support and your partner's telling you, you keep getting the message, but maybe it's not coming through in a way that you can really receive. Mm. Maybe consider, and again, this is why I hope you're listening to this together, but maybe consider that the message could be delivered differently in a way that's more feedback versus critical kind of direction giving. 
Yeah. And it's, I think this actually ties into the original question, which is for the partners out there, how do we, you know, how do we invite our partners, specifically men, into doing this type of work? And the answer most assuredly is not criticizing them to do so. Yeah. Right. There seems to be, a, and, and this isn't sort of like an attack at all or an actual criticism in itself on the approach. It's more to say that we know that it doesn't work, right? The results that it probably yields when we do that are not positive. And so we just know that it doesn't work. What we do know works is the invitation, right? What we also know works, what I've found works really well because I have, you know, women reach out constantly and say, hey, you know, I want my partner to do some work with you or I want us to come do some work with you. How can I invite him into that? And, you know, one of the other answers is besides, you know, asking him if he's open or, you know, whether he's receptive to that or interested is actually inviting, right? Hey, I would like to go and do this. Not because anything's wrong, but because I want to actually grow and deepen our connection, right? The masculine is very growth oriented and it's very growth focused. And it's interested in learning how to be better, but doesn't want to be told that it's doing something wrong. Yeah. <laughs> right? It's kind, of the, it's kind of the paradox. It's like, like, tell me how to do things better, but don't fucking tell me that I'm doing something wrong. Yeah. Right? And that is the key, key, yeah. key distinction. Yeah. And the other thing that I would say, what I usually say to most women is, is that the feminine for a lot of men and for the masculine oftentimes holds the permission card for them to do the work. But it's still up to him to choose. Yeah. And forcing the choice onto a man will never produce the results that we want. And so for the guys that are out there listening to this, not only being open and receptive, seeing the, the sort of like practical ROI on it, but being able to take a step back and say, how might this grow me? Not from a defensive space of I'm doing something wrong and I need to protect myself or now you think the relationship is broken or the sex is broken or our communication is broken or I'm broken or anything like that. But what might I learn and how might I grow as a man, as a husband, as a father in order to be a better version of myself? And when we can focus in on the growth, on the expansion, we're aligned with our purpose. Right? We come back into alignment with our purpose, what fulfills us, what feels rewarding and connective. Because when we as men and the masculine within us are growing and expanding, we feel aligned with flow. We feel aligned with a deep sense of purpose and passion. And that's exciting. And if that, <laughs> I almost wanted to say, if that, doesn't, if that doesn't do it for you, then I don't know what will. <laughs> well, I, you know, I'll tell you, man, and I'm sure, again, you've certainly experienced this. I think it's really important that we men also know that our partner ain't going to hang around if things kind of stay in a place that doesn't work for them. Like we really need to know it's that kind of challenge aspect. We need, we rise to challenge. And if I just know she's just going to be there, no matter how, I don't know, whether I care or not, mm. whether I show my caring or not about the relationship, about her in a way that's meaningful to her. If I just think she's going to, then I'm not inspired to do anything yeah. different. Yeah. And I think it's really important, you know, you, boy, man, you just said some, so many important things there, but one of the biggest ones too is, is really acknowledging that it's not about right or wrong or doing it wrong. Yeah. Really acknowledging, even if he's in a state of such resistance and stagnancy and look, if he's listening to this, then he's not quite, he's not fully there. I mean, that's something yeah. Right. If, we're, if you're listening to this together, but maybe you're just a woman listening to this and you wish he would listen to this. Yeah. Start with acknowledging what is good about him. Even if it's just that he shows up every day. Yeah. Physically, he's still there. And I think the, the getting curious part, you know, like peaking our curiosity as men is also important. And, you know, I think a lot of the guys that have come to work with me, it's, Usually because at some point, you know, their wife or their partner or someone in their life, whether it's a man or a woman, has sent them my content, right? Whether it's a podcast that I did or, you know, some Instagram post that I did, they'll DM it to them or tag them in it and they'll say, hey, check this out. And that is a great way to start the conversation. And he might become reactive, right? He might be like, why the hell are you sending this to me? Exactly. And that's when it's like, well, I know that you've been focusing on growing this part. Right. And again, coming from the growth space rather than the, well, you know, you've been doing this wrong yeah. lately or whatever iteration of that. And, and it's interesting because we see this culturally, 
right? Right now, men as a whole, in a lot of ways are being told that they're doing something wrong. And it's creating this very anti wanting to do anything about it movement, right? Like there's a, a big sort of like rejection mm-hmm. from men of like, what? now we can't be men and we can't have penises. And, right. you know, like this is dumb. And, and, and it's not that men don't want to hear what's being said. It's that a lot of them become defensive because their shadow is leading. Mm-hmm. And how we do that is by positioning it just a little bit differently. Yeah. And the men that are receptive to growth, that are wanting to grow, that are wanting to evolve, that are wanting to expand, they'll hear it. They'll start to hear the call. Yeah. And that's the important piece. And it so, is often that we are inspired by, I'll just, I'll use the word love. Mm-hmm. We're inspired by someone we realize we can't live without. We don't want to live without. Yeah. But when we realize that, holy shit, if I actually don't take action, I may end up living without Oftentimes, that's what it takes yeah. is the awareness that I will live without. I'm going to lose everything that's meaningful to me if I don't take action. Yeah. I think, it's, I think this, what you're saying is important because like, I recorded this podcast episode of, it's called How to Know When to Go. And it's like a 12-minute little mini episode of like mm-hmm. how to know when to leave your relationship. And the interesting thing was is that I really talked about you know, one of the most powerful things that a man can receive sometimes is to have someone leave him because he hasn't figured out that his actions have consequences. Yeah. And he like hasn't really been shown, you know, maybe he got punished as a kid, but that shit didn't really matter. He didn't really care about that anyway. And he, you know, he kind of has gone through life and existence, but suddenly he's found something that he actually gives a shit about. Yeah. And now it's about to leave his life because of his own doing. And the tendency is to want to save him from that, you know? And the tendency as men is to sometimes when we're in that space to want someone to come and save us from it. But sometimes we need life to kick us in the ass. And so, <laughs> yeah. And, and uh, we wouldn't encourage doing that to teach him a lesson. That's no, no, thank you. Yes, thank you. Uh, Worst reason to do it. That's a good preface. We're not saying like vengeful breakups uh, no. by any means. It just comes back to that. And, you know, I think we talked about this before we got on the air that we forget that as men, we have largely been conditioned to see ourselves as disposable objects. You know, men's lives culturally, culturally are valued less than women's, right? Women, while women have been mistreated in many different ways and have been abused in many different ways than men have and have been taken advantage of and, you know, the list goes on and on, their lives are still protected more than men's, right? Because they are the the birth givers, the life givers of existence. And so we have set up cultures and societies and communities to protect them. And, you know, the challenge is that a lot of men have sort of subconsciously started to see their lives as less valuable. And culturally, there is this sort of underpinning message, you know, that we send men off to die, you know, in war, in battle, and we praise that. And, you know, I mean, You were part of the military, so I'm sure you know that much better than I do. But there is sort of like this glorification that we as men are disposable and we celebrate it and we celebrate this disposable nature. And the challenge is that some men have also adopted that, whether it's through their father or whether it's through social narratives and messages. A lot of men have adopted that belief somewhere in their identity that I don't matter. I'm actually a disposable piece of life's income. And so if I'm not around, it doesn't matter. And that narrative can actually seep into how they show up in relationships. And a part of a man, and I work with so many men that deal with this, and it fucking breaks my heart. So many men at the core of who they are have adopted this belief that their partner doesn't care that they're around and that their partner doesn't need them, right? and doesn't want them, and that the man is disposable, and that if it was somebody else, that he or she would still be okay. And it's heartbreaking, and it feeds into the loneliness of men, that they believe that they're disposable, even if it's to the person that loves them the most in existence. And it's often this core belief behind the scenes is oftentimes very much feeding into this part of a man that doesn't want to go and do the work because he thinks, what's the point? I'm disposable. I don't matter anyway. Why the fuck would I go to do the work? Because even if I do, she or he could replace me anyway. 
right? She could just replace me. I'll have done all this work and I'm just disposable. So I don't really matter. So why would I even bother to do that? And that seeps into his conversation and his communication and his intimacy and the whole thing. And we need to do a better job of understanding that we're not disposable and that our partners do want us and that businesses and societies, like the world is changing. Culture is changing. Our role as men is changing. And we are trying to find our place in that ever-changing space as non-disposable pieces of society that can't just be discarded and thrown away by sending millions of us to war to go and die for whatever political... War or work. Or work, yeah. Yeah, or that we can just go throw ourselves into work and... And, you know, work 120 hours a week yeah. until, you know, we have a heart attack at 52. Yeah. That's sad, right? That, that leaves a space within a man that seems to not be able to be filled. And, you know, I think the work that you and I do and that other men are doing and other women are doing to support men is to help them understand that that space can be filled. And it can be filled with purpose and meaning and direction and love and compassion and just joy. You know, just joy. Like I've had that hole in my chest. I've had that experience of feeling like I was disposable. And that's why I lived out of the back of my car for three weeks. It's like, I don't fucking matter, yeah. right? I don't matter. You know, if I, if I killed myself here, it just wouldn't matter. Like nobody would care. And that's the type of thinking that unfortunately, that's a very extreme version of it. But that's the type of thinking that a lot of us men have adopted. And we have to shift that. That's a part of our work as men. That's not women's responsibility to shift within us. That's our work as men is to shift that core belief. Wow. And I, I know at least in my case, it certainly helps when I do hear from my partner that I matter yeah. to her and that I am needed. Not in a neediness way, yeah. but I am needed. Yeah. Connor, it is my sincere hope that the people listening, that this creates a conversation at the very least yeah. that you can, again, if you listen to this by yourself, fantastic. If you are in a relationship and you can listen to this with your partner or send it to your partner or do, oh my goodness, I'm so much juicy conversation can come out of this that can really just bridge gaps and be connecting and then and, and help you take whatever the next step is for you. Connor, I think we've said everything right now that there needs to be said. Yeah. <laughs> we, said, we said a lot of stuff. <laughs> we said a lot of stuff. We definitely said a lot of stuff. That's for sure. But thank you so much. Is there anything, one final word or, or? Yeah. I mean, I think I would just say, you know, reach out to Brian or myself and, and let us know what about this podcast really landed for you. I think that's the, you know, that's why I do this work is that if something really hit home for you, tell us and tell us how it landed for you. And maybe that's just the very first step in your journey. And maybe it doesn't lead anywhere, but at the very least, you've connected. And I think that's what's important in this space. And you know, I would love to hear what landed for you because I'm always refining my understanding, my personal understanding of men and of this conversation because we're not so simple <laughs> and, and we can be complicated sometimes. And, and so- we're very sensitive. Yeah, yeah, we can, we can be sensitive, absolutely. And so, you know, I think reaching out and letting us know is powerful. I love getting those messages and I love sharing them. Awesome, man. Connor, always a pleasure to have you. Thank you so much. Thank you. All right. So that was the interview. I hope that you enjoyed. Um, if you have any questions, please hit me up uh, on Instagram at Mantalks. I would love to know what you thought about this episode. If you uh, really enjoyed it, make sure that you man it forward. Share it with just one person. This might be a good uh, icebreaker to spark a dialogue with another man in your life uh, and see what he struggles with when it comes to getting support. It's a big challenge that a lot of men face uh, because oftentimes the narrative is that if we, like you heard in this episode, get help or get support, that there's something innately wrong with us. And the, the reason why I look at the work that we do within the context of Man Talks, whether it's the Men's Weekend or the Alliance or working with me one-on-one, -on -one, I look at it as training because a lot of what we are doing is training ourselves uh, to have more resiliency, to have a better relationship to commitment, to being more um, strong and, and strengthened in our resiliency to our commitments in life in understanding the responsibilities that we choose and the responsibilities that we have in our life. 
and how to better leverage our skill sets and our gifts so that we can perform more admirably, so we can perform more effectively when it comes to the responsibilities that we have in life, whether those responsibilities are our family or our friends or our finances or our health and our wellness. Uh, so whatever it is that you enjoyed about this episode, please share with me at Man Talks. And don't forget to share this with a friend. So until next week, this is Connor Beaton signing off. Join me next week for another inspiring conversation with another inspiring individual. Mm-hmm.